Um, we want a point of correction. Steve, church finishes at 11.30. 11.30, not 11.45. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I was, I've heard a story of a kid who was in church with his parents, and, and the preacher kept saying, uh, as I move to my last point, or as I stop. <laughs> and the kid asked the parents, like, what's going on? And said, son, he has finished, but he just hasn't stopped. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes that happens, right, that we're finished. We just haven't stopped. Uh, but anyway, what do we, what, um, these are the few moments that we have to just gather around God's word. So even sometimes when we go over, uh, it's, it's for all good reasons. Acts chapter 20, what we've been doing in the last few weeks and what I'm going to do today is just give context to what we do as a church. As Karen Vineyard Church, we strongly believe, and if you have time, read our statement of faith on the centrality of the Word of God in all that we do, right? There are all kinds of churches in the world. Uh, you can almost choose a catalog of churches that, that you want. Uh, that, you know, I want a church that's, I want a prophetic church. That's what I hear those days. Sometimes when I invite people to church, they ask me for these labels that I'm not aware of. Like, is your church prophetic? Is your church this? Is your church evangelistic? Is your church, is your church? But I think the goal of this church is to be conformed to the scripture in all that we do because we believe that all that we need for life and for practice as a church and as Christians is revealed to us within, within the scriptures. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that you as a believer, you're equipped to know what is true and what is right. That way, it will make it easy for you. That even when you, one day if the Lord sends you to another country, or if you go to college, you'll be able to walk into a church and be able to identify that this is a true church. Because you are equipped with the scripture, you know what church is, you know what the truth is, that if someone stands up to preach, you can say, that is truly the word of God. I was reading a book by one of my favorite books of the year. It's by Hannah Anderson. It's called All That's Good. She's talking about, in that book, she's talking about discernment. And she says, for a lot of us, discernment has been associated with trying to look for what is evil. Like, and, and, and I realized that for myself as well. Like, discernment, we use it for, you know, does this person have an evil spirit? Does this person have evil motive? Is this person okay? But she said, you know, discernment is not just to sniff out what is bad, but it's also to be able to tell what is good in the middle of chaos. And that's what the, the word of God does for us, to be able to identify what is true what is godly, what is right, and what brings life. And this morning, I want to share just from a few verses in Acts chapter 20, but the goal of, of, of my uh, sermon this morning is just to give us context in th for things that we're going to be doing in this church. First thing that's in this passage is elders. In a few weeks, we're going to be ordaining elders in our church and as a believer, you need to know elders is just not church management. <laughs> or like this is the board that manages the church. That's not what elders are. The Bible teaches us. 
and every believer needs to know what the Bible has to say about elders. But another thing that's going to be happening next year that this church is going to be doing and you're going to be hearing more about it is we're going to be moving into meaningful membership for our church. Membership. I know, you know, uh, a lot of us, our minds, when we hear membership, we could go into like club, is this like club membership? Are we moving to, to like club membership as a church? Or are we adding things that are not in scripture? But we're going to be teaching from the scripture to show you how every believer has to meaningfully belong to a local church. What we are not doing is we're not making it harder for anyone to join the church or harder for anyone to leave. But we're just doing what scripture teaches and requires for every believer. Acts chapter 20 from verse 28. This is Paul. Uh, he's giving a charge to the elders at, at, uh, at the church at Ephesus. And this is what he says. He says from verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know that with my hands I ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, thank you to the few Anglicans who have responded. <laughs> Everyone says, like, what do we say when he says that? <laughs> so this passage uh, starts with an appeal to the elders or to eldership at this church. So Paul is, is, is writing and, and he makes this appeal to the elders. Please go to the first. Uh, an appeal to the elders of the church. So one, it shows you that one of the indicators of a church that is biblical is that it should have elders. If you walk into a church that's not organized around elders, that's not in line with what the, the Bible teaches on how we should be biblically ordered as a church when we gather to worship and how we are gathered and how we are led and how we are shepherded. That there should be elders in a church. Unless if it's a church is starting and they're putting together elders together, but if you walk into a church that does not teach or that does not believe in elders, it's out of line with what the Bible prescribes for church and when we are gathered as a people. That's a red flag, right? So Paul begins uh, verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. 
and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you. What we learn in that, in just that passage and in other places that I'm going to highlight is just what is the role of elders when we gather as God's people and when we call ourselves a church? And what is the qualities, what is their role as we ordain elders here and as we are uh, pastored uh, by elders in this church? What is their role and what does the Bible teach about that role. There are three things that are mentioned there. In verse 17, uh, it starts with verse 17, where you hear the word presbyter, right? That's what's used there. But also what's used in verse 20, it says, pay attention to the flock that has made you, that you have been made overseers to take care of the church or to shepherd the church. So it's beginning to tell them, listen, Elders have been given to you. It's a group of men who have been entrusted with responsibility, right? And recognized by the church to lead and to feed his church. And here, he's using plural, right? He's not talking about one person. He says the church in which you have been made overseers, Right? And the Bible continuously teaches. You will see that in Timothy, in 1 Peter, in Titus, and I'll come to those passages where the Bible talks about how elders should govern together as a team, a team of elders in that we are given, right? So footnote there. If you go into a place where it's led by one superstar, one guy at the front who's charismatic personality, that's not what the Bible teaches again. If you're going to a place where like, oh, I know places where people identify with, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having charismatic and gifted pastors. We have Craig Looper, exceptionally gifted senior pastor. I know he's watching. <laughs> I'm trying to get a raise. <laughs> we do have. But I've been in places where you go to uh, a, a, a space and someone identifies. It's like, oh, I go to Soul and Souls church. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says, it's, it teaches the multiplicity of elders. And then, it begins to show some of the priorities or some of the qualities that we should seek for or look out for in elders. Just in, 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 in those few verses. Number one, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. It says, anyone who's going to occupy the office of an elder, is someone who is right with God, who pays attention to their life and to their doctrine, as Timothy says. He says, pay attention to your life and to your doctrine. Why is that important? Because they've been entrusted with a duty to shepherd your souls, to teach and to lead you. If they don't pay attention to their own lives and doctrine, how will they pay attention to your own life and to your doctrine? So it says, this should be people who pay attention, who are right with God, who have a vibrant relationship. Watch yourselves. No matter what you do, mind your business. They watch their own lives, given to prayer, given to the study of God's word. That's the quality. One of the temptations that churches will face, right, as we want to 
gather elders. I've been to churches where they gather people with, a, you know, people in the C-suite, right? Someone who's a CEO, COO, and CEO. anyone who makes it to the eldership has to have some type of worldly achievement and success for them to, you can almost see that there's, there's a bit of, but the Bible doesn't look at those things. It gives qualifications of what elders should be. And you can even see that. Let me read some popular places where the Bible teaches this. Titus, this is says, 1 verse 5. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and as I directed you. Starts talking about elders. And appoint elders as I have directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, monogamy, and his children are believers, are not open to being wild or insubordinate, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy, but is hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also able to rebuke those who contradict it. It's a biblical qualification. For eldership, that's what we look for. We don't look for someone who has led a multinational. Yes, that could be a useful experience. But the primary thing that we look for is this. It's not even your level of education. It's not even your college degrees. It's not how charismatic you are. But it's what the Lord describes in, in his scriptures. But the second thing we can get from there is that uh, the shepherd, uh, the second row of the elders is to lead and feed the flock. So one, they should pay attention to their own spiritual lives. It's almost what uh, Jesus said. Remember when he asked Peter three times, what did he say? Peter, do you? Do you love me? Right? What did he say? I see King James people like, is that what he said? He said, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. He says, I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. This is what Jesus was teaching. That the people who occupy this office, it says we feed Jesus' flock from the overflow of how we find Jesus lovely. He's almost saying, Peter, do you find me lovely? Now go and share this out of you personally finding me lovely. It's like, do you love me, Peter? Now go feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Like those who are entrusted with feeding the lambs have to be lovers of Jesus. They have to be awed by Jesus. Their hearts have to be captured by Jesus. They're not just type A personalities or cholerics that we're looking for. We're looking for people who are given, captivated, and totally devoted to Jesus Christ. And from the abundance and the experience and their love and their pursuit of Christ... Then that's what Paul is showing. They says they're entrusted with feeding the flock. And he says they also warn and protect, and we'll talk about it. And in verse 33, he almost says those who are given in the church to lead the flock have to have 
freedom from self-interest. Verse 33, he says, I didn't ask for anyone's silver or gold or apparel. I didn't do what I did. I didn't come to lead you so that I gain anything from you. John Calvin, on his commentary on this passage, says a very interesting phrase. He said, ambition, ambition is the root, is the, is the root for all heresies. Saying you need to watch out for men in the church who are doing things out of selfish gain for money, for followers, or for some form of respect. He says those that will come and shepherd the flock should be free from the need to, to gather followers or to make money or to use it for any type of personal gain. So that's the first thing that he highlights for Christian leadership. Basically what he's saying, he's saying those who lead you, right, the goal of all Christian leadership is to lead people into Christ-like behavior by example. It's like the goal of all this. Because this is, if they're not doing anything like he has said, that's not Christ-like. But the goal of all Christian leadership is to lead into that. So he says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come and not sparing the flock. Verse 28, he also uses the word flock, which is where we want to highlight a few things about membership. What is membership? What does that mean when you say, I am a member of Karen Vineyard Church? What is that going to look like for us going forward? A lot of my thoughts here have been um, influenced by a man named Jonathan Lehman. Uh, he's written a book called Biblical Membership. If you have time, uh, you should look for it and uh, read it. But what is, what is membership, right? Membership is not us coming up with data or putting you so that you receive our newsletters or a thing that we do so that we remember your birthdays or we attend or we will do your funeral when the Lord calls you home. Because in traditional church, that's what's been like, oh, I belong. This is membership. Or this is not a ploy to say, oh, you know, we, we're going to come up with privileges, so you need to give so that you maintain membership and its privileges. That's not what the Bible shows when it talks about God's flock. God's flock. Membership is belonging to the universal church of God. It's a group of people. Read Ephesians chapter 4 when it talks about one God, one faith, one baptism. When it's talking about maintaining the unity of the of the Holy Spirit, that it's a people who have been redeemed by Christ, by His blood, right? And they've come together and recognized that we are family as God's people. So we're not asking you to be a member of a local church. That's just an expression. We are saying you are identifying with the church that Jesus Purchased with his own blood. When we're saying we're a member, we're saying we're coming together to identify. Because here it says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right? He, 
Here's uh, two definitions from Jonathan Lehman. He says, one, when we talk about membership, he talks about it's an expression of care for the ship that Christ has bought. But he says, it is, it's a declaration of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. It's a passport. It's an announcement made in the press room of Christ's kingdom. It's the declaration that a professing individual is an official, licensed, card-carrying, bona fide Jesus representative. It says more concretely, church membership is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian, characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. And it says, notice that several elements are present in this definition, that the church is a body uh, that, uh, that formally affirms an individual's profession of faith and baptism. It promises to give oversight to that individual's discipleship, and the individual formally submits his or her discipleship to the service and authority of this body and its leaders. Right? So, it's a Christian. It's not just a requirement that we want to make as a church to say, oh, we want everyone to be a member of this church. No. It's a Christian response and duty for you to identify with a local church as God's only agency on earth. There are people who want to identify with a ministry. Like, I don't go to church. I belong to a prayer ministry or I belong to a Bible study. I don't go to church on a Sunday. That is not church, right? God is coming back for his church. All those interdenominational things, they are bridesmaids. <laughs> but God is coming back for his bride, not the bridesmaids. Right? <laughs> An example I'm always giving is how many people in this church, you love going to Nyayo House? How many? Nyayo House is a place... For immigration and sorted your passports, your visa. How many love? How many are not interested in, in walking to Nyaya House? It's a place you don't, you don't, you don't enjoy going to. That's, that's most people, right? Just like, man. Most of us will do the Nairobi thing. It's like, oh, I have a phone number. I have someone there. <laughs> I have a cousin. I have an aunt. Because you don't want to go there. But is there any other entity in this country that can give you a passport? A visa or an ID? Jack. <laughs> Even if you think, oh, they're not organized, they're corrupt, you're going to come back, bro. <laughs> Same thing with this church and the church of Christ. Like, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. No. Number one lie there is that the church is full. We're not full yet. We're taking more hypocrites. <laughs> the number one lie is that we're full, right? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> See, the church is full of hypocrites. The church is broken. The church is this. Is a, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's true. You can come. But there's no other agency that has been given on earth to which God reveals his purpose other than the church. So when we, when we are inviting us on this journey to a biblical understanding, appreciation of membership, we're saying, we're standing and saying, you know what? 
My life is given to this entity that God purchased with his own blood. That this passage, you see everywhere else in, in the Bible, it talks about Jesus' blood. This is one of the few places in the scripture where it mentions God's own blood. It's mentioning the whole entity of the Trinity. It says God purchased this church with his own blood. So that's what we're doing and inviting each and every one of us. Where else in the scriptures do we find membership? A few places. I'm using papers today just to, for my secret center, uh, bring an iPad this Christmas. <laughs> Let me show a few places in scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, for what have I to even eat with such, uh, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside and purges the evil person among you. What's happening in, the, in that text is two things, right? First of all, Paul is drawing a boundary between insiders and outsiders. That's what membership is. When we say, listen, we want to get you into formal processes of membership. You're saying, you know, this is me publicly identifying that I was, I'm now part of the redeemed, right? It draws a boundary between the inside and those outside the church. And that boundary is membership. It separates the church from the world. And secondly, Paul indicates that Christians have one set of responsibility to insiders and another to outsiders. We have duty to one another as Christians, right? Many other verses uh, on that, but as a Christian and as a disciple, right, we are not called, we are saved together, and discipleship doesn't happen alone because we belong to a family and we belong to a body. What you're saying is, I'm submitted to God, to the elders who's, who meet this criteria of the scripture, and to those who are redeemed, right, for my discipleship, which means your faith, right? Because you're saying, I pledge allegiance to this church, to this spiritual entity, that Christ died for, and there's no other agency on earth that's been given. And the people in it have a responsibility to express that and to extend God's care in me becoming like Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more with time on the duty of, of each member to one another, like to pray one another. To encourage one another to become like Christ. Because that's what discipleship means. Unfortunately, what most places have done, what most churches are doing at this point in time is we are not forming disciples. We're actually forming two things. 
we're conflating leadership and discipleship, or we're conflating influencers and disciples. <laughs> we actually wanted to create influencers in church. If I'm like, go into the, this dominion theology. God is an influence. People have to see you like, like, you're creating influencers, not disciples. Or the dominion theology, like, this is what you as a... I'm like, no. Leadership and influence is different from following Jesus and becoming like him. Those things are not bad, creating Christian influencers or Christian leaders. But the primary goal for us is to create followers of Jesus Christ. And whatever they do, they do on the path to follow the Lord. That's what we're called to as a church, to form disciples. And we want you to be part of that process. Like, this is the purpose. This is the nature of the church. It is spiritual. This is the purpose of the church. And this is my role in it as I submit to this entity that God has ordained. And that's why the members of the church, what, is, what will meaningful membership look like for us? Membership of Christ uh, should be Christians. We'll try to put this in our newsletter, some of my notes, in the interest of time. I don't know if I finished and I need to stop. <laughs> Where am I? Uh, Members of the church means view the church as the primary context for fellowship and ministry. Members of church should have certain biblical privileges and responsibilities. Some of them are praying for the church, being transparent in relationship with other church members as they care, encourage, rebuke, teach, and learn from each other according to Ephesians 4, verse 15 to 16. They submit to the church's leadership and teaching. Hebrews 13, verse 17. And especially when we've given you context for this is what an elder does and this is, you know, they're submitted to scripture. You're called to submit to godly leadership that is free from self-interest and meets the criteria of what the Bible teaches as a member. Promote unity in the body, Ephesians 4 verse 3. Financially support the church, Galatians 6 6. Use their spiritual gifts to build up the body however they can. Paul finishes there with the importance of why we should be members of the church. It says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples not influencers not leaders to draw away disciples after them why is this important he's beginning to talk about wolves amongst the flock of God that's why there's criteria for who we invite for membership so membership is just not for anyone who says no I've been attending KVC so now I'm a member no because we're not inviting you into just the space. We're inviting you into the universal church of Christ, into the body of Christ, right? But he says, even amongst that, wolves will come. There are people who infiltrate the church, right? He talks about wolves in sheepskin. There are people who come to draw away people from following 
Jesus Christ. And he says, this people will come from among you. Right? The, one of the greatest threats to the gospel is not outside. It's inside. When people from among us come and they begin to distort the truth about what God teaches in his word. So he talks about wolves in sheepskin. But he even talks about even the more dangerous that we don't pay attention to. The wolves in shepherd's skin. Even more devious. Because we're paying attention to those, the wolves in sheepskin. But there's also wolves who stand here on the pulpit. Who stand and lead and get positions. He's like, but if you're not in membership, if there's no, it says this is one of the roles of the eldership. To warn to protect you from the wolves that will come from among us. It could be in this local gathering among us, but even in the universal church. There are many wolves in shepherd skin with many followers online, famous, but they're not leading people to the cross. They're not leading people on the path of discipleship. He says these are people who distort the truth of God in order to draw away disciples of Jesus Christ. So when he invites you to membership, we're saying, listen, you have elders who are apt to teach, whether it's teaching from the pulpit or in real life, in order to protect you from the false teachers who are out there who come dressed as angels of light. Says this is the purpose. But what are the other benefits that the Bible talks about on becoming a member of a local church and identifying? It commits you the Christian, right? It brings others to commit to you. You get that protection from other believers and the eldership. Um, and then it glorifies God. And it dramatizes heaven. I finished. I'm stopping there. <laughs> As a church, we need, to, when we're in membership, we start doing church in a way that when you go to heaven, you won't be surprised. We start dramatizing what life is going to be around the throne. You're not going to be surprised like, oh, guys sing it. Oh, guys do this. That's why I'm even mindful of the songs that we sing here. <laughs> when we say, let's worship the Lord, right? One of my tests for if a song is a, is a worship song, singing to God is, if, if you can sing it both on heaven and on earth, that's a worship song. A song that you can only sing on earth is not a worship song. It's a good song. It's uplifting. It's encouraging. Like, you don't have to worry and don't you be... Heaven, there's no fear in heaven, my friend. <laughs> so songs that talk about the holiness of God, you can sing it on earth and you can sing it in heaven. <laughs> songs that talk about how mighty he is, his mercy and his grace, you can sing it on earth and in heaven. <laughs> right? So we've got to do church in a way that when we get to heaven... <laughs> Right? You're not going to be surprised. 
We're not going to do church so that when you get to heaven, you'll be shocked. It's like, oh, there's another tribe other than Kikuyu's or Kambas because you're doing a Kikuyu and a Kamba church. And you get to heaven, you hear another language, you're like, yo, <laughs> what's going on? Because there's going to be everyone there. It's going to be everyone. It's going to be Africans. It's going to be Mexicans. The Brits are going to make it. <laughs> South Africans. Johnny is going to be there. Johnny Lawrence is going to be in heaven. <laughs> everyone is going to be there. So the way we do church, right, because we're forming a community from every culture where Christ is king. So we're saying we're this community. Supernatural church, come into this membership, uh, make a covenant with the church, with the scriptures, and with other congregants, right? As we do church in a way that when you get to heaven, you remember that song list. You're like, oh, we used to sing this song during our worship in our church. You're not hearing new songs, <laughs> or you're not seeing new people, or you're not hearing. That's what we're saying as a church. Like, we want to do church. Our desire is that a church that pleases God that forms you into the disciple that the Bible instructs that you should be. But that prepares you for eternity. That we are an embassy of the future. That's what we are. Right? We are dramatizing that day when we'll sit at the table with our Lord and Savior. Would we please rise on our feet?